while they are uh, helping us with the offering. Um, there are some pages there, uh, some notes for you on the table. Uh, so I wanted to start trying to do that so that you could have something to write on and, and uh, to make some notes. Those are mainly the passages that we're going to cover. Uh, and um, so uh, we'll see uh, how well I can do with that uh, for you. But anyhow, I wanted, have you, wanted you to have something that would help. <clears throat> also, uh, <clears throat> as uh, Susan was sharing, that this uh, reading is called bow, and the word means come, but it can also mean go. It's, this is where Hebrew is interesting because Hebrew is governed a lot uh, by context. And so it depends on the context where, the, where, where that word is used, kind of like the word lead, um, you know, in our, in our English language. Is spelled, you know, L-E-A-D. It can mean, you know, are you leading? Did you lead? Are you going to lead? Or is it heavy as lead? Uh, it just, it just kind of depends on the context. Uh, well, that word is, uh, it's, it's go, and it talks about this section. And just as an introduction, I want to show you how, uh, and it's called the parasha or parashat, uh, or some will call it parash. Uh, it doesn't really matter, but... Um, it's um, these sections of scripture are divided up uh, based on where they see uh, uh, spaces in the original text on a Torah scroll and also where those are found uh, as it relates to a topic. So I want to show you how, because this one's extremely obvious on how they came up with this section around this topic. So the very first uh, verse or the very first part of this section, which is also where they usually come up with the name for that section. So this one's name is to go, um, and it starts in this very first uh, verse here in chapter 10 where it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. It continues on. Um, in other words, they come up with the name based on the major theme in that very in the first sentence. And so um, even though this section is about him going into Pharaoh, there's another element in here that becomes extremely prominent throughout this whole section. He goes on and he says uh, in verse two, he says that I may tell or, the, or he says, that I may show these signs among, among them, verse 2, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So it starts off with go, but there's a topic all through this whole section, and, and it ends. I've got to jump down in my digital Bible here to get to it. In chapter 13, <clears throat> Um, the very last few uh, verses in here, we'll get back to this in just in a little bit, uh, but he says uh, in verse 14, he says, and when in time to come your son asks you, what do these mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of sla slavery. And then he goes on talking about that. So the other issue throughout this whole section is that one of the reasons why God did all this 
um, was so that he could show that he is God and um, that he is actually not just God, that he is Yahovah, the one unique God, and he was doing it in this fashion so that the people of Israel would be able to teach their children. Now, before we even get into all of that, so that you'll have this in mind, you have to think. They didn't have books. They didn't have a digital Bible. They didn't have public school system. They learned through experience and word of mouth. And the major teacher was the father. And his, part of his responsibility was to pass that on to his sons so that his sons could pass it on to their families. Not saying that the women weren't taught, but there's a prominent issue in here of the fathers being uh, the teaching role to their sons. This is one area where uh, the public school system, if you're in the public school system, don't hit me. <laughs> I'm just saying that there are pros and cons. The bad side is mentally we kind of flip the switch and we pawn off the teaching to the teachers and to a school system instead of doing it in the home like we're supposed to. Um, I'll leave it there. I'm not saying we should, you shouldn't send your kids to school. I'm just saying that there's a mental issue. So let, let's dive into this text uh, and, and look at this. So going back to chapter 10 in verse 1, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, watch this, that you may know that I am Yahovah. The big issue here throughout all of this is God is, I'm, he's telling us over and over and over again because we're just slow and stubborn. And so he's got to repeat it over and over and over and over. Um, that the whole issue is that he's, pro he's proving who he is and that he is the one unique God. So then if you jump down into verse 13 uh, of, of chapter 10, it says, uh, so he, he's already met with uh, Pharaoh, and it says, So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought up the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had ever been, nor ever will be again, they covered the face of the whole land so that it was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against uh, the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, 
Please only this once and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord and the Lord turned the wind to a very strong west wind which left the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was found in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. I want to stop there for a second and just point out one thing before I continue. Um, Moses goes in and he says, you need to let the people go. And Pharaoh says, I ain't doing it. So God tells him, he says, well, stretch out your hand over the land, and this is what's going to happen. This time he doesn't use the staff, he just uses his hand. And what happens is God brings up a strong east wind and locusts come. And there's so many that the ground looks black. It's kind of like this time of the year, you know, when the crickets come out. You know, luckily this year is not as bad as like last year, but I, I've still got spots on my driveway where they would cover the driveway and you have to drive out in the morning. And it's just, you just, you drive out thinking you're, you, you can hear it <laughs> crackling when you're driving over so many bugs. It's gross. It's horrible. Uh, but can you imagine there being so many that they're everywhere? And when it gets that bad, I can't keep them out of my house. And it's like when you open the door, there's a magnet sucking them into the house. Can anybody here testify? I mean, have you ever noticed that? And like you're kicking them, trying to get them out the, out the door while you're trying to shut the door. And they're, they're frantically going, no, I'm coming in. <laughs> uh, can you imagine with that happening and the ground is black with them? Coming in your house <clears throat> and everywhere. And what's worse they ate everything that the hail didn't destroy. Here's what's fascinating. Where did, they come, where did the wind come from? The east. Where is Israel headed? The east. Where did God send them when he got rid of them? Back to the east, across and into the Red Sea. Exactly where Israel is about to cross. God basically said, you need to let my people go or destruction's coming. And it's going to come from me. And here's another sign as to where I'm going to take my people. I brought my people in here. If you don't do what I say, destruction's coming and it'll be ultimate. He wouldn't do what they said. And so God brings it. And then Pharaoh pleads and begs and God goes, okay, I'm going to send them out. That's a little prophetic picture of what's happening. And what will happen? Because Israel doesn't go until Pharaoh says, please get out of our land. He's going to kick them out. Let's, let's just move on. Verse uh, 21. Uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be darkness uh, over the land of Egypt. And it was a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. I'm sorry, I said the other one is where he stretched out his hand. This is one where he stretched out his hand uh, and this darkness comes. So in here, what we see is that there was darkness that falls on the land and it's so dark, it said they could feel it. <clears throat> 
and people were afraid to go out. They, they couldn't even hardly see each other. But it says, but the people of Israel had light. How many days did Moses first say to Pharaoh that Israel needed to go? Hmm. How long was Yeshua in the ground? Three days. Um, and he's now been gone if a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. He's been gone how many days? Two. And he's going to reign on the earth for 1,000 days, which would be three days. There's other places in Scripture where it says that after two days and three days, God will come and deliver us. This issue of it being dark for three days is important, and it is also, once again, prophetic. That for three days, there's going to be darkness on the world or on Egypt. But watch this. But God's people have light. And we are supposed to be what? A light to the world. As Israel was supposed to be a light to the world, where Yeshua said, let your light therefore shine among men, wherefore they will, glorify, they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, which is exactly what God told the people of Israel they were supposed to do by following His Torah. Uh, and so God is the source of heat and light. I've got this note uh, for you there on your uh, notes. Um, and that uh, it was the very uh, symbol of the cosmic order in Egypt. Um, this is, I think I've got this. Is, don't I have this one on there for you? No, I do? Down at the bottom? Okay. Um, and that uh, Moses extends his hand without the staff and that this darkness uh, that descends, it was just, so tangible it could be felt. It's, I think it's because um, uh, God is the source of light and goodness. This wasn't a darkness that was just an absence of physical light. You ever been in a place where you could sense darkness? You could, you could feel it and you're like, I need to get out of here. Uh, this, there, this is bad. Can, can, I, I have. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, look, uh, this is not of me. There's some stuff going on here. You don't need to be here. Uh, this is what they were sensing at an ultimate level, which is also symbolic of world history and how it's going to end up. That all the forces of evil will come against God and this world and His kingdom, and it'll be a darkness that can be felt. Let's move on. Uh, in verse 28, it says, Then Pharaoh said, uh, said to him, Get away from me and take care never to see my face again, for on, that, on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. This is where Pharaoh challenges Moses and says, I'm done. <clears throat> if I see you again, you're going to die. And the interesting thing is, God gives you, it's this idea of measure for measure. Um, Pharaoh forced Israel into servitude and forced labor to build, and it's, the sages also say, even to work their fields. Not only were they building 
bricks. Uh, but they had them working in the fields even. It was just total slave labor, if you will. And they were taxed into this situation. And so the very things that Pharaoh and Egypt were forcing Israel to do, God was taking it away from them. And God was doing it in a way where their gods were judged. So that they would know that their gods were not greater than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here, Pharaoh is saying, you're going to die. What he doesn't realize is that that's going to come back on him. Because now we're talking about death of human beings. Up until this time, that hasn't been the major issue. God said, if you stay out in the field, you'll die. You need to come in. There was always a way for them to get out of it. There was always a way for them to not die because of what was happening. This time, they're not going to be able to escape it. And Pharaoh says, the next time you see my face, you're going to die. And it's almost like God saying, yeah, but you're about to see my face. And what you just said is going to come back on you. And I'm going to show you something that's amazing. You get down into chapter 11. Now, this is the 10th plague of the death of the firstborn. You go down into verse 4. Uh, and this is after God's told him what's going to happen. And so in verse 4, down through the end of this chapter, and we'll stop there for a second. It says, so Moses said, thus says Yahovah, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that Yahovah makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. One of the things I want you to see here is back in verse 4, And he's going to say it again so that there's total clarity. And we're going to cover that in a little more detail. But I want you to notice in verse 4, it says, So Moses said, Thus says Yahovah, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. So who is going to personally take care of this? Yahovah himself. He's not sending a messenger, an emissary, or angel of death. He is personally going to take care of it. Interesting. Why? Because God Himself is birthing a nation that is His inheritance. And the issue is, 
Are these so-called gods of Egypt, the great creator of the universe, the one true God, or is it me? And so he gets personally involved in the birth and security of his nation and also personally involved in making a distinction. I'm God, you're not. You defied me way too many times. And we've already covered that God did not cause Pharaoh to sin. God strengthened Pharaoh's Physically and mentally, he gave him the courage to keep doing what was already in his heart. People miss that. Um, God didn't, he, he strengthened him and encouraged him when physically and emotionally and mentally, he was about ready to cave in because he couldn't handle it. But God gave him that burst of energy that let him keep doing what he really wanted to do. So now you get into chapter 12. It says, uh, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Now, this is the institution of what's called the Feast of Passover. Um, <clears throat> and he says that this is going to be the first month of the year for you. And it's literally the month in Hebrew called the month of Aviv, or you'll see it spelled like A-B-I-B, uh, Abib, uh, but they, uh, it, it's really Aviv. Anyways, it's the month of the harvest, of the spring harvest. Uh, and he says, this is going to be the first month for you. Why? It's their birthday. It's their July 4th. It's their declaration of independence. He goes, this is to be the first month of the calendar year for you. Your day, and you have to, before this day, they technically are not a nation. They are a subjugated people without a nation, without a homeland, without a king, without a ruler. They went in as 70 souls of the people of Israel and the 12 boys and their wives and children and servants and stuff. 70. They come out and it's estimated of 600,000 men from the age of 20 and above uh, fit for war. So then you go, okay, if they were all married and they had kids and they're looking at, you know, maybe two and a half million. Plus there was a mixed multitude that comes out because 
there were a lot of slaves and even Egyptians or whatever that said, I've had this. I'm going to join myself with the people of Israel because their God is God. So there's at least two and a half million plus people that leave Egypt at this time. And before then, they were not a nation. They were a people group. Um, they had cultural traditions, but they were not a nation. Um, this is their birthday as a nation. So this is why this spring month is their first month of the year for them. Even though the rest of the world doesn't operate on that calendar. You think God cares. <laughs> you have to put all this in context. Because we go, wow, that's really weird because January 1st is the first of the year. Well, I was that guy that always got in trouble because I'm asking questions. And people would get tired of me asking, you know, well, who said he had the authority to make that decision? Who put them in charge? Who are they? Who is the they that decided that? I was that guy. Um, and so... <clears throat> um, God is making a distinction between his people and everybody else. And so I don't care what everybody else is doing. This is the first of the year for you. Your whole life and life cycle, yearly cycle and everything, this is when it starts. It starts on your birthday as a nation. doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. This is where it starts for you. And then it says, and here, so here's what you're going to do in that month, on the 10th day of the month, you're to go out and you're to pick a lamb without blemish. Anybody here see the movie uh, Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston? Moses. You seen, you seen the movie? Uh, and in the movie, you know, because it says about midnight I'm going to come in and, you know, this angel of death is going to come and all that. Well, God says that about midnight I'm going to do it. Then he says... Oh, and by the way, this is the month that's going to be the first of the year for you. And on the 10th of this month is when you go get a lamb. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, God said he would come and do it at midnight, but not that night. He's going to do it on midnight at the evening of the 14th at Passover. When the Passover happens, that's when he's going to come at midnight, but not the night when he said that. So the movie will get you messed up. He tells them they're supposed to pack and get ready to go because they're going to go in a hurry because Egypt's going to kick them out. But it's not like, okay, it's, we got to hurry because it's going to happen tonight. We got to get all this done. No, they had plenty of time. And this is where it gets really fascinating. And you and I are going to have to stretch our minds to get connected with this event because it's personal. And I'm going to show you why. In verse 5, he makes a comment. Okay, they're, so they're supposed to go get these lambs. They're supposed to get them on the 10th. They're supposed to keep their lambs, each one of them, for... Four days before the lamb is slaughtered. And he makes a comment, a statement in verse 5. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish. Clue. They didn't get the opportunity 
to go down to Costco and buy a carcass that came from Australia. Wrapped up real nice and pretty, nice and clean, you know, got its, you know, white covering over it and it's cold, you know, it's, does it, and you ever notice that, you know, you go into the meat market at Costco, if you smell something, you don't buy it. I was just there, I was buying some chicken, put the packages in the basket, I don't remember now what day it was, and something was on my hands, I went, well, that's not quite right, and I looked at it, and one of the, you know, because they come packaged all together, and one of the packages with the uh, chicken uh, had a lot of air in it, and I went, I don't necessarily smell anything, but that ain't right, (laughs) it's supposed to be vacuum sealed, I took it back, I said, that one's not quite right. I'm going to get another one. Isn't that how we are? Because you're like, because if you walked over there and you go, ooh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that, right? So we're real sanitized emotionally. No connection. You know, we started raising sheep. My ram, I really hope he's doing what he was bought for. Because hopefully this spring we'll have some little lambs. I'm really looking forward to that. But we have a strict rule. None of them get named. Now, the the females, we can name them. But all those males, none of them get named. Watch this. Well, because when you name them, it becomes more difficult to take them to the slaughterhouse. You know, that's just, you're going to eat your pet. You know, these are lame and they're cute. You know, got them big old ears and cute little face and, you know, making their little noises. And, you know, they're just cute. You know, they're, they're really cute animals. And I've even thought, could I, I don't know that I could do that. You know, you want to be the tough macho guy, you know, and you're raising this sheep. And all four of them that we have now, I mean, they've all got these funny characteristics. They're all different. They sound different. We named Gabby because she really can't buy very good. It sounds like she's hoarse, you know, so we named her Gabby. You know, anyways, they all have these names, and I'm thinking, you know, you're going to raise this lamb and then slaughter it, and you notice it says your lamb. They all had to go and pick their lamb. A year old, about a year old, and without blemish. Then they had to keep it for four days. Anybody here ever take in a stray animal? Bring it into the house. And then somebody's like, we're not keeping that animal but you already brought it in the house, and you know when it came in the house, done. It's staying, right? The dog's just going to stay or whatever it was. It's staying, you know. Um, we had a big dog, male dog, got on our property. I'm not, I think I know how it got in the property. It scared me to death. I went out there with my gun. I'm shooting, trying to not really hit it, but run it off, and it runs back to the back, and I can tell he's scared. I'm sitting there with this 45 pistol. I'm like, I'm, I can't shoot this dog. I know it's not violent. I just got to get it out of here, you know, and so sad, you know, because he looked scared, no collar, whatever, and I said, you're not staying. 
and I don't know what you'll do with these animals. And when I had these lambs, you're not staying. You know, so we had to run him off, but I felt bad. And I also thought, I need to run him off because I'm not adopting another. I don't need another animal. I don't need another headache, right? Cannot stay. You know, just run away. You know, somebody else's problem. You know what I'm saying, though, right? They're going to get this lamb, and they have to keep it for four days. Now, watch this. Get ahead of myself a little bit here, but they need to keep the lamb. It has to be without blemish. Then they're going to kill it and eat it, and they're going to take the blood and put it over the door post. It's going to put it on the two door post and the lintel at the top. And when that blood is up there, Yahovah himself will pass over them, and the firstborn in that house will not die. Your children's life is dependent upon you doing this perfect. You've already seen nine plagues. You're figuring it out. Moses said, God said it. It's going to happen. Right? And your children's life hangs in the balance. Are you going to make sure that you do it as correctly as possible? If your son's life hung in the balance and you know you pick a lamb on uh, Aviv, they've changed the name now to Nissan, but Aviv 10, and you got to keep it till Aviv 14, slaughter it on the evening of the 14th and eat it and take the blood and put it on your doorpost the evening of the 14th because midnight that night, Yahovah is showing up. Are you going to pay special attention to that lamb? Yeah, you're going to pay special attention to it. Most people think, until you start reading in the rabbinical commentaries, most people think, well, what they did was they took these lambs and they tied them up outside. If you know that your child's life hangs in the balance, are you going to tie up a lamb outside where it could possibly hurt himself? Or another animal might blemish it. Right? You're not going to do that. You know where they say they tied up those lambs? To their bedpost. If you and I can get attached to a stray dog in about 30 minutes when we bring it into our house, what do you think your attachment's going to be to that little cute lamb after four days of you feeding it and taking care of it and going over it and making sure it's perfect and your hand feeding it and protecting it and sleeping with it for four days? And then you have to go kill it. You don't get to go to Costco. You don't get to go to Kroger and go into this sanitized area and get you a rack of ram. <laughs> rack of lamb, you know, rib roast or whatever. You, you, don't, you, don't get to get, you don't get to get that. You get to take your lamb. That's why it says your lamb. You get to get your lamb you protect it, you make sure it has no blemish, you slaughter it, you kill it, you catch the blood, you eat it, 
and whatever's left, you burn whatever's left. You don't leave anything left. And you take that blood and you put it over your doorpost and you put it on the lintel of your door to make sure that God himself passes over your house and your firstborn lives to see the next day. You are personally involved and connected. Um, that kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Uh, it makes it extremely personal. Um, and then if you jump down, this idea of <clears throat> um, that he says that he will pass... Um, in verse 12 of that same chapter says, watch this. Look at how many times he says this. I didn't count them before. And it's like one, two, three, four, five, six times. Six times, two verses. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, on all the, and on all the, look at this, all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am Yahovah. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you uh, to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. Wow. He can't make it any more clear. It wasn't some angel of death or emissary or just some army that God sent. He says, I'm coming personally and I'm going to do with, I'm going to deal with this with my own hand. Um, another little note that I want you to see, and I put it there in your notes there in verse 12. It says, uh, both man and beast and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. That word there is Elohim. It's, this is just another. There are many, but this is just another place where I want you to see that that word Elohim is not God's name. It's a designation of where he's from. It's a designation of homeland. It's a designation of the realm from which he sits and resides. The other angels are also of these Elohims. They're, that's why God said, let us make man in our image. People say, well, that was uh, um, just you know, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit talking. No, he's talking about, I'm going to make mankind in the very image of us from this sphere. Then he put his stamp on us in our DNA. So I don't want you to get too far away from that, but I just wanted you to see right here that this is where he says that he's going to uh, bring this judgment on all the other Elohim of Egypt. Did you notice that he didn't say all the other all the idols of Egypt? Why is that important? Because these are real. 
These are real entities that God says, I'm going to execute judgment upon them. These are not empty, meaningless, worthless pieces of stone and wood that have no real entities attached to them. He says, I'm going to execute judgment on all these Elohim of Egypt. Not just false gods, empty imaginations in people's minds that aren't connected to any reality. Are you following me here? Because we have a tendency to think, oh, he's going to execute you know, judgment on... He's, he, what he's doing is he's proven that those gods aren't gods. That those idols aren't gods. They're just... It's a statue. It, you, know, you know, in the movie uh, Ten Commandments, you know, Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner standing there in front of that black marble god, you know, trying to get that god to resurrect, you know, his dead son. Seen the movie? God's not saying, Yahweh's not saying that that statue, that he went, you know, he knocked the statue down to show that Pharaoh, that the statue was just a piece of stone, was meaningless. No, he's saying, I'm going to execute judgments on these Elohim. They're real. Are you, you following the, the magnitude of that? Folks, that's why he says, you don't worship me the way they worship those Elohim. It's real. And I remember what they did with that stuff. So you don't bring that into worship with me. It's an abomination to him. That one just kind of flew through my head. <laughs> So he says, uh, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you um, when I strike the land of Egypt. Then in verse 14, it says, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Two questions. Who is the feast or appointed day two and four? God. He says, you're to do this. You're to keep it as a feast to Yahovah. How long are we, if you will, commanded to do this? Forever. Did forever stop? I mean, forever is forever, right? Can God be wrong or confused or Maybe change his mind. I think he said right here, you're to do it forever as a lasting statute. And to do it, why? As a memorial day. To remember what happened. To remember that your deliverance came when people died. Your deliverance came when Yahweh showed up and saw the blood over your house and passed over you. Our deliverance came in the same way when God sees the blood of Yeshua over our hearts and passes over us with His judgment. Amen? i got to get more than one amen out of that. I mean, amen? That's awesome. And that His eternal wrath to come, He's going to see that blood and pass over. Us. Hallelujah. 
And he says, this is to be a day of remembrance because I did this with a mighty hand, a mighty, strong, outreached hand. And it wasn't some other emissary or angel. It was me personally. I'm getting personally involved in your redemption. When else did God get personally involved in redemption? Yeshua. It's a picture of God being personally involved to purchase our salvation. And the only way Egypt would kick Israel out was when they were forced to by following their own heart to the point to where their own firstborn die for it. This is where we have to ask ourselves, are we really willing to sacrifice the, um, literally, the, if you will, the eternal security or placement in heaven and everything for our children and loved ones for the sake of our own mental comfort today? Following God's not easy. I want you to notice something. This is not in your notes. <clears throat> I was hoping I'd have enough time to cover this today. I hope I, I still can. What, what we usually miss is that the sheep and uh, the goats and the ram, if you will, uh, for Egypt was one of their gods. Egypt knew of this proclamation. They were not caught off guard. Those that feared God did what they were told they could do. Some of them did. Um, and they knew the significance of what was about to happen. And it was also making some of them furious, but they were too scared to do anything about it. Because watch this. They watched Israel go out and get... I don't know, a million lambs. Anywhere from 600,000 to a million. That's a lot. And they tie them up in their house to kill them. On the day of the Passover, judgment day. It's judgment day for those that don't do this. You ever drive down through fate right here when that guy's out there cooking the barbecue? That just should be illegal. You know, you're on your diet, you're, everything's working fine, and you drive right by there, and oh my God. And of course, that's why they do that, right? Because it's like a magnet, you know, just sucking you over there like you need to, all of a sudden... Is your mouth salivating already? Mine just started salivating. It's just barbecue. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you feel that? What do you think Egypt smelled like when you got about a million lambs simultaneously being barbecued? Their God getting barbecued. It was one of their major gods, and God is barbecuing them. That's why he tells them, he says, you're to pick it, and you're to keep it and make sure it's without blemish, and then you're to barbecue it. I want to make sure everybody 
can smell this one. And then you're going to eat it. And then I'm going to take its blood and I'm going to put it over the doorpost to protect you from me. Because when you kill it, I'm going to protect you. You see, Israel could have said, this is really going to tick them off. This is one of their gods. And you want us to do what? And they could have said, I don't want to risk that. And you know what? Some of them didn't. Because not all of Israel left Egypt. Some of them, some of them stayed. Which tells me that some of them also did not do this. And death came to their door. Uh, now he gets into, uh, in verse 16 of chapter 12, it says, On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day is a holy assembly, and no work shall be done on those days. This is one of the places. He also does it again in Leviticus, where you can see that the day, the feast of unleavened bread, which starts on the 15th on through the 21st, I think it is. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Um, from the 14th to the 21st, it's a seven-day period starting at midnight, uh, or starting really, I'm sorry, at sundown uh, on the 14th is the beginning of the 15th, and from that time forward is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so the 15th is a high holy day, a high Sabbath. That gets into the timing of when Yeshua really died, which was actually Wednesday. We don't have time today to to deal with that. But this is one of those places where you find that fact that the first day of unleavened bread is a Sabbath and the last day of unleavened bread is a Sabbath irrespective of the Saturday Sabbath. They're, they're separate high Sabbaths. And that's why the, the scribes, I mean, the, the priests came in and said, break their legs so we can take them down uh, before the Sabbath because it's a high Sabbath. And they were referring to Nisan or Abib 15, we know that Nisan 15 is a Sabbath. Doesn't matter if it falls on a Thursday, a Friday, a Sunday, a Monday, or Tuesday, or whatever. It's a Sabbath. You following me with that? And that's how Jesus, Yeshua, was in the ground for three days and three nights completely, and he didn't die on Friday. Jump ahead with me, if you will, to uh, verse 26. <clears throat> So it says, uh, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? So here it again is where he's saying, this is what's going to happen. So when your children ask you, why are we doing this? This is what you're supposed to say to them. And you're supposed to tell them that this, it's the Lord's Passover. It's not our Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. It's his feast. It's his appointed time. So then the correlating reference for this, I gave you another one in Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 through 25. And so he says, uh, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and these statutes and these rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed his signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, 
that, we might, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So he says, this is what you're to teach your children that we're doing this because it's what God did when he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and he gave us his statutes, his laws, commands, decrees, and all that. And he said, when you do this, there will be your righteousness and there will be for your good to bless you so that he would keep us alive as he's done up to this very day. Interesting. So is the law of God tedious and horrible and mean and restrictive? He tells us, no, it's not. It's for your good. It's, it's to bless you. And it'll be your righteousness. I don't have time to dive off in that this morning. Let's go on to uh, verse 43 of this same chapter. And down to verse 49, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is, a, this is the statute for, of the Passover. Watch this. No foreigner shall eat it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house, and you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to Yahovah, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. Key. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. If we attach ourselves to the people of Israel, following the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, following the same Messiah, there's one law for the native-born and the sojourner who's been grafted into Israel. There's not a law for the Jew and a law for the Gentile. If you're a follower of Yeshua and you've been grafted into Israel, as we're told in Romans chapter 11, guess what? You're no longer of the nations. That's literally an oxymoron. You can't be both. You're either grafted into Israel and God's family or you're not. And it doesn't matter if you have Hebrew blood pumping through your veins or not. As he's telling them right here and warning them. And he's saying, this is when the institute is getting started. It hasn't happened yet in Egypt. This is why he's telling them this here in Egypt. Listen, if there's somebody out there that wants to eat the Passover, no problem. He just needs to get circumcised. Folks, that's another reason why this didn't happen in an instant where Pharaoh says this like it in the movie, and then that night, you know, all of a sudden, we need to go out and get a lamb real quick and kill it and put the blood on the doorpost because he's, he's coming tonight at midnight. No, they had plenty of time. And why did they have plenty of time? And watch this, plenty of warning. 
so that anybody that wanted to join in and be connected to Israel and be saved and follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had the time to do it. They had the warnings. They had the stipulations. They said, if you want to do it, you need to get circumcised. You don't want to do that at the last minute. It's really a decision you needed to make, like, now, like at the first of the month. Because watch this. When we leave, we're going to be leaving in a hurry. And if you do it on Nisan 14, when we're going to have the lamb that night, someone's going to be carrying you for a few days. And we're going to be running from Pharaoh. I mean, we're going to be in the wilderness. There's not going to be a care now around the corner. You want to do that in time where you can be taken care of, get doctored up, heal, because you're not going to be comfortable. Does that make sense? So he's saying, I'm giving you plenty of warning so that you don't try to do this at the last minute. You can. I'm not saying you can't. It's going to be harder. You, you following me? So he says right here, he says, so if you want to keep it, you can. And the sojourner can, the Egyptian can, the other slaves of Egypt that are looking for freedom can. You just need to tell them they can come into your house. They can eat the Passover with you. They can join with you. You just need to get circumcised. Okay. So they got plenty of time to do this and plenty of warning. They can see this coming and people have plenty of time to make up their mind. In the same way it is today. God is shaking the earth. Everybody's coming unraveled at every end imaginable. Everybody's living, losing their ever-loving mind. And it will get worse. You haven't seen crazy yet. Um, and God is saying, I'm telling you, this is, what's, this is the way it's going to happen. It's going to happen exactly the way I said. You need to start listening to God and listening to your Bible and not the common preachers out there. You need to read what your Bible actually says and read it for what it says. And he says, this is the way it's going to happen. We, that's why we just studied Revelation. This is how it's going to happen. This is how it's going to unfold. And if you're waiting for this pre-trib rapture theory thing to happen, okay, but you, I'll just tell you, it ain't going to happen like that. We don't find it in Scripture. It's a theory. You got to go through massive uh, theological hoops to make it work. And it just, it's just not there. Um, and so he's saying, I'm going to give you plenty of warning so that you can get prepared. You just don't want to get prepared last minute. You can, but it'll be harder. Uh, anyhow, so it says, so there'll be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns with you. I gave you another verse. Again, it's in Numbers 15, verses 13 through 16. Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, in offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger is sojourning with you or anyone living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before Yahovah. One law and one rule shall be for you 
and for the stranger who sojourns with you. I wanted you to see that because this idea of there being one law for you and the sojourner is not isolated to just the keeping of the Passover, but all of God's teachings, all of them. And he says, so if they want to come before me and they want to live among you and they want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's fine. They don't have to be, in other words, you don't have to have Hebrew blood flowing through your veins. And when you come and you join with Israel, they become as native born. I had a lot of fun last year with my Hebrew teacher in Jerusalem, and I was kind of joking with him. I was telling him some of these things, and I said, so whether you like it or not, according to your own Torah, you have to love me and treat me as a native born. Total silence on the other end of the internet. (laughs) And I said, read it for yourself, dude. It's your Torah. You should know this. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm trying to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And quite honestly, you have to treat me as a native born. Total silence. I thought it was hilarious. Let's jump into chapter 13 real quick. I'll try to finish this. Running way out of time. Uh, In verse uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever uh, is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. You need to hold on to that thought for a second, that passage, and then jump down to the end of this section in verse 11. It says, When the Lord brings you out into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. We don't have time for that right now. Every firstborn man among you, your sons, you shall redeem. Interesting. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For, the, for when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice, watch this, this is him explaining to his sons. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or the frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Watch this, I want to show you something real quick. So what's this issue of God saying, the firstborn of all the males of your house are mine, consecrate them to me? It's because all the firstborn in, in Egypt dies. So God tells Israel, look, all your firstborn coming out of here are mine. Because initially they were to serve as the priests leading the people out. Later... When you get into Leviticus and everything else, after some time passes, there's the division of the tribes and their order and their responsibilities. And then the Levites are separated out as priests unto God to serve Him in the tabernacle and do the work uh, of a priest. And when they get into the land, they don't get an inheritance because their job is to serve in the temple eventually, but the tabernacle for the first 450 years. So what's happening? 
Well, God says, when you first come out, they are mine. They're consecrated to me. After that, there's a redemption process that goes to take the place of that because of the Levites. So they were to give an offering to redeem their firstborn as a sign of God saying, I have separated out of from among you the tribe of Levi to be my priests. Therefore, after that, you're to redeem your firstborn because it still goes back to the original Passover event to remind them every single time you have a firstborn son, you're to remember, remember that you're here because of what happened in Egypt. You, you following me with me there? And that's why he says it to them this way, because it sounds contradictory, but when you look into it and you keep digging, it's not contradictory. God is setting a pattern here because we need symbols. Because we're dense. And we're quick to forget. Right? We just, our memory is really not as good as we think it is. I got a picture. It's at the very end there, Matt. I want to show you. Anybody ever see anything similar to this? This is a uh, IDF soldier at the Western Wall praying. And what I wanted you to see was this right here that's called the tefillin. It's right here. It's hard to see. It's on his hand. There's a little box right here on his hand, but you can really see the one on his forehead. That looks weird, doesn't it? I mean, it just, that's different. Um, there's a specific way that they wrap it. Now, that's rabbinical, but they, they wrap this. This isn't the only place where this is found, but it's only, I only have time, I don't, I'm already out of time. But I want you to see there at the, at the end of this, you don't have to turn to the passage. You've got it on your sheet. It's the last verse. It says, it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The Hebrews, the Orthodox community, the religious that are trying to follow God, they take this seriously and they take it literally. I don't think that's wrong. And... Um, God wants them to look different. He wants us to be different. In the New Testament, it talks about us, uh, people being able to see us by our walk, our lifestyle, and know that we are different. In our current lifestyle, just driving down the road and everything, can people tell if you're a believer in Yeshua or not? Can they tell you're a believer in Yeshua by the way you dress? Uh, we don't have time to go there. Uh, but here's what I want you to see. It says in that passage that it's, gonna, it's to be a mark. The word there for mark, it means to leave an imprint. And so they, they know their Bible real well. And here's what happens. You see how tightly this is wound around his skin? And they wear that when they pray at least three times a day. And a, a, an Orthodox believer, I'm not telling you you need to go out and buy this thing. I'm just giving you a point of reference here. An Orthodox 
follower of God, not necessarily Yeshua, but follower of God that, that, that is doing this, right after prayer time, they don't have to even know you to know if you spent time in prayer. Because when it comes off, it leaves a mark. I've been married to her for 43 years. And there's an imprint on my ring finger because of me, this never comes off. It leaves an imprint on their arm for a, little, a good little while because they wrap it tight for a reason. So that when they're walking out in the community, after those three times of prayer, they can look down and go, I know that man spent time in prayer today. We're like-minded, and he's a follower of Yahweh. Um, why would God want them to do that? Why would he want us to do things like wear a seat? Why would he want it? Because he wants us to be different than the rest of the world that are following these pagan gods and to not assimilate into the worldly system. We think, that just looks weird. Man, I couldn't do that. I'll be honest with you and tell you, I don't know that I could do that. That's just weird, isn't it? That's just different. That's me speaking as a 61-year-old man being brought up and raised here in Dallas, in Dallas County. I never saw that around Dallas. I never saw it in my part of Dallas. Right? And that's just odd. It looks odd. And my, in my humanity, I go, God, that's just weird. That's odd looking. He's got a box on, front, on the front of his head. He's got scripture in a box. It's tied on his head. That's odd. That's weird. Surely you wouldn't want me to go around town looking weird. That's me speaking, worried about how I look. You following with me here? God has them, and I believe he wants them to do it, to be different, to, to show that he's the follower of Yahovah. Hopefully he believes in Yeshua as his Hebrew Messiah. God wants us to be different in the way we dress, the way we act, everything. Why? So that we can be a testimony, and watch this, so that we can teach our children that we're supposed to be different than the rest of the world. So when your children see you doing something that other dads and other moms don't do, they can say, Dad, why are you doing that? Well, let me show you what the Bible says. Because we're a follower of God, we're a follower of Yeshua, and this is how He says we're to be living our lives. Your children should walk in and accidentally find you reading your Bible and praying and weeping in your Bible. They should find you doing godly things when you don't expect them to. They should find you blessing them and leading them down God's path and living a life that's different. Watch this. Why? so that we can proclaim through everything we say and do, whether word or deed, in such a way that it will bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven. Even by the way you dress, ladies, modestly. I'm going to leave it there. I shouldn't have to explain. 
We get so caught up in trying to be like the world. Wrong. Guys, with what you're doing, with what you're doing with your eyes. If you need a cone, buy you a cone. Whatever it takes. Um, and also, guys, even dressing modestly. Because guys can be just as dumb about this. Um, so, <clears throat> what's the point in all this? Look, Yeshua came and died on the cross to be our Passover lamb. And we're to celebrate that and serve Him and worship Him and tell people about Him because that's the greatest thing that ever happened. And everything we just looked at this morning is a prophetic picture of what He did 2,000 years ago. And it's also a prophetic picture of what's about to happen with God's judgment on the whole world. That when he sees God's, when he sees the blood of Yeshua over the, if you will, the door of our heart, his wrath will pass over. And he'll bring us out the same way he brought us out of Egypt. There's one other thing. Man, I wish we had another half hour. Thanks for sticking with me today. I want you to notice also in that one of those passages there, because it says the response is in the first person. So he says, in times to come, when your children ask this, what are you going to say to them? You're to say to them, this is how God brought us out of Egypt when he passed over us. When you're to personalize it, even if it was your great, 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 great grandfather that was actually brought out. You're to do it as though you were the one that was brought out. You're to say it as though it was you that was brought out. Question, if you believe in Yeshua, did God pass over your sins? Did he bring you out of the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin and death and destruction and demonic activity? Then is it something personal for you? Then is it a stretch to say, I'm doing this to symbolize when God brought me out of my bondage, out of our bondage? that was pictured back in Egypt, that it was alive in my life. And as a teenager, he came and got me. We're to personalize it. God loves you so much. And watch this. He loves you so much that he'll get personally involved. He's not going to send some low-level angel to come and protect you and get you. He came personally because he loves you. And he handled it with his own hand. And watch this. They also do that to remember that God came out and he saved Israel with a mighty outstretched arm. When they see that, it reminds them of God's arm personally involved in their salvation from Egypt. So next time you see that, before you think, well, that's just weird. Picture God's mighty hand, His outstretched arm bringing salvation and that His salvation is literally to leave a mark on our hands and on our foreheads, in our thought process, in the frontlets it says, so that even what we look at is godly and holy and based on God's Word.